1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 29 through 34. We've been talking in 1 Corinthians for the last couple of weeks, and Paul is dealing with an issue of the resurrection for the people of Corinth. The problem is that they don't believe that there is a resurrection. They don't believe that when this life is over, they will be resurrected from the grave. Now, this is a crucial part, the most important part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is, that there is a resurrection, that there is a life after this life, that in Christ Jesus, there is an eternal life. If there is no life to come, if there's nothing after this world, then what kind of hope do we have? Well, there is no hope. But for the Christian, we know better. We know that there is a life after this. We know that through Jesus Christ, we may receive an eternal life. That is, once this life is over and we pass on from this world, we go to the next life, a life that we will spend with God for all of eternity. We are able to do that through Jesus Christ, paying the price for us by his death on the cross. But it's not just that he died on the cross but more that he was resurrected three days later. When Jesus died on the cross, he conquered sin because he was sinless. He was a perfect sacrifice. When he rose from the grave, he conquered death. Now, those are two things that you and I cannot do. We cannot conquer sin on our own because we are all sinners. Since we are all sinners, we need to be forgiven of our sin. Through Jesus Christ, we are given that forgiveness. We also can't escape death no matter how good technology may come. Eventually, death will run its course. But Jesus Christ did escape death. And so through Jesus getting the victory over death and, and, and the victory over sin, he shares that with us. He shares the victory with us so that we can become overcomers along with him. And that is why the resurrection is critical, while it's crucial, while it's the most important thing to the gospel. As we talked about in the weeks before, if Jesus had died and been put in the grave, never to have rose again, then he would have been just like you and I. But Jesus is not just like you and I. Jesus is the Son of God, and he has conquered the grave. Now, this is the issue that the Corinthian people were dealing with. Now, whether they were doubting Christ's resurrection or not, the scripture is not clear here. But it does tell us in the verses we looked at that they were questioning whether those are doubted that those who had went on before had not been raised from the dead. Now, Paul speaks sarcastically in the verses prior, saying, well, if the dead are not raised, then neither is Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say uh, all these points to say, look, here, if, if the dead aren't raised, Jesus isn't raised, therefore there's no hope and all of these things that Paul is trying to get their attention, all of that to say, but Jesus Christ did rise. There are a lot of ifs there, but the, the, the problem is not the ifs. The real solution here is that Jesus Christ did rise from the grave. So we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 34 through, or excuse me, 29 through 34. Let's pray and then we'll dig in. Father God, we come to you this morning. I pray that you be with me as I preach and teach. Help me to make sense of some of this hard stuff in this scripture. I pray that this word will be a blessing to those that hear it, God, that, that, that whatever is on our heart, whatever may need to be changed, God, if there are some that don't know Jesus Christ, that through hearing these words, that they will 
They will know the truth. They will know the gospel. They will know love. They will know that there's hope in Jesus Christ and his resurrection. So God, I pray that as we look at some tough stuff here that we are, uh, our minds are attuned and, and, and growing in your word, God, so that we aren't deceived by false teachings like these that we're looking at in 1 Corinthians, dear Lord, that we don't lose our hope. And I pray that you hide me behind the cross. Just humble me. Uh, use me today to speak these words. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 29. Otherwise, what will they do who are being baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people being baptized for them? Now, the reason why I stopped at verse 28 last week is so we could cover verse 29 in a little more detail because it's a difficult verse. Now, as Paul is using different examples to, to get their attention and, and, and help them to understand that the resurrection did occur, he kind of follows that theme here in uh, verse 29. Again, it was one of those if statements. Now, these other if statements that he had made prior to this were things that didn't actually happen, that w there were no benefit to them. He was just speaking hypothetically, sarcastically to get their attention. The question is, is he affirming uh, the fact that there can be death, uh, or excuse me, baptism for those who have already died. That is, can we who are living be baptized on behalf of someone who has died so that they may be forgiven, so that somehow through our baptism on their behalf, they may enter into heaven with the Lord? Well, I don't believe that that is the case at all, and I don't believe that that is what Paul is teaching here. Anytime we look at difficult texts, as you've heard me say in the past, we look at the text, that is verse 29 that we're reading, and in some texts, in some scriptures, in some verses, we understand them on their own, by their self. They make sense to us and they are understandable. <clears throat> Other verses, we need to look at the context. Here, this is beneficial to us because we see those if statements that Paul used up to this point. We see it again here. And so it leads me to believe that one, Paul is not speaking of, uh, of this idea of being baptized uh, for the dead as something that should be followed through with, but he's making a connection to help them understand the error of their ways. So when we look at the context, that helps me at least to look at verse 29 in a little different light. So if we're dealing with the issue of should we be baptized for the dead and is there any benefit if we are baptized for the dead, we look at the text. Well, it doesn't tell us in verse 29. It's pretty much contained in that verse, that idea. We look at the context and that at least in, in my mind helps me to understand a little better. But then we go further. We look at the whole text. That is all of Scripture. Well, do we ever see in Scripture this idea of Christians being baptized for the dead? Is this ever commanded by God? Is this ever commanded by Jesus? Is this ever carried out by the apostles? Are there other Scriptures that lead us to believe that we are to be baptized for the dead? Well, no, there are not, at least none that I have found. Perhaps they're in there and I have missed them and someone can point them out to me later. But at this point in my life, I have found no other scripture in the Bible that has led me to believe that we as Christians who are in Christ Jesus are to be baptized for those who are dead and that there would be any benefit uh, to those people. So we don't see it anywhere in the text. So 
In my opinion, as we look at this verse here, it is not telling us that we are to be baptized for the dead. So if Paul is not commanding that here, which he is not, then what is he saying? Well, perhaps he's using a reference to some other people who may be baptized for the dead. He says, otherwise, what will they, he uses the word they there, I think that is important to know, what will they do who are being baptized for the dead? So there were some who were being baptized for the dead. Were they Christians or were they non-Christians? Well, we'll talk about that in a second. If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people being baptized for them? Now, he asked a question there. If the dead are not uh, raised at all, why are people being baptized for them? Then he goes on to say in verse 30, why are we in danger every hour? Now, notice the difference there between they and we. It appears as though he's talking about two different people. If the we that he includes himself is... Uh, with are, are Christians, which they are, then who are the they? Well, it's either Christians who are not doing right or it's people who are not believers. They are pagan. They are doing things that aren't of God. So perhaps he's using an illustration here to say, look, there are some among you who are being baptized for the dead, albeit there's no benefit in that. He doesn't say that there. I added that. There are some being baptized for the dead, although there is no benefit in that. But even they believe that there is something better to come or else they wouldn't be baptized for those who are dead. Even they believe in the afterlife. How much more so should we as Christians who know that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, how much more so should we believe in a resurrection, in a life to come? Now, I believe he's speaking sarcastically there. I believe he's saying, look, even these unbelievers or believers who believe falsely believe in an afterlife. How come you don't? You say you stand on Christ Jesus who has uh, died and been resurrected, but yet you don't believe that there is a life to come. And this is to their shame, as we will see at the end of the verses that we are looking at today. So I believe Paul is pointing out a group of people who are indeed being baptized for the dead, and they do believe that it is to some benefit for them, even though we know that there is not, because the Scripture doesn't affirm that in any other way, and I don't believe Paul is preaching or teaching something foreign here that he's never taught before and will never teach again. Perhaps these groups were pagan, as I mentioned, groups that believed in this practice, but it was of no benefit Perhaps it was some of the Corinthians who professed to be Christians and maybe really were Christians, but they were misled by this false teaching. Now, this is something that we have to be aware of. We as Christians are faced with false teachings all the time. That's why it's important for us to be in the Word, to know the Word, to hear what the Word says so that we are not easily deceived. We, right here in Amit County, Liberty, Mississippi, may experience people who will come to us and who will tell us that there is a need for us to be baptized for the dead, that the practice of being baptized for our dead ancestors is a right practice. Well, that is unbiblical and that is a false teaching. So we need to be aware of these texts and try to understand what the meaning is is to them so that when we encounter these things and they present to us 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 29 we can say no that's not what the text is saying there in the context of the whole passage that Paul is preaching on and there are no other scriptures to lead us to that 
That's why it's important for us to understand this verse because it is difficult and it's kind of there on an island by itself. Uh, in the context, it's dealing with baptism, but the idea of being baptized for the dead is, is kind of a, a thing that's just right here in this one little spot. And so we need to try to understand what's going on in the passage so that when we encounter these false teachings or other false teachings as far as that goes, that we can discern and know what is right from what is wrong. Let's read a little further. Why are we in danger every hour? Now, he's asking a question to the people here. Why are they in danger every hour? The Christians, that is. They are in danger every hour because... They are Christians. You don't believe Paul was in danger. You need to go back and you need to read the scriptures. Paul was constantly in danger. You may remember in Acts when there was a group of men that said they would not eat or drink again until Paul was dead. Well, Paul didn't die uh, for a long time after that. So I don't know if those men starved to death or if they eventually went back on their uh, pledge that they had made. But that just goes to show you that there were people who greatly disliked Paul. His life was always in danger. He was imprisoned and beaten and faced many difficult times throughout his ministry. And he says, he asked the question here, why are we in danger every hour? Now, it's not just Paul who is in danger. It is Christians. It is the church, not Enterprise Baptist Church, but the church that is the body of Christ as a whole. We are in danger. Jesus says we will be in danger. We will face hard times. Why? Because we follow him. We bring a message that the world doesn't want to hear. We bring a message of repentance. That means if we tell someone they need to repent, that we are telling them that they are living in sin. Well, people don't like to be told they're living in sin. They like to do what they like to do. We are in danger every hour. Why are we in danger every hour if there is no benefit to that? I believe that's what Paul is getting at here. Why are we going through these things if ultimately there's nothing in the life to come? We talked about that last week. Uh, the idea that, that, that who wants to live for a Savior who is going to give them only hard times in this life but never give them anything else after this life? Who wants to suffer in this world for no reason whatsoever and get nothing from it? Well, that would be no one. No one would sign up for that. May, we may say we would, but realistically, that would get old pretty quick. Why are we in danger? He's saying, look, you're in danger for what you believe. Know that what you believe is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Don't misunderstand what you have been taught. Know that you are in danger, but yes, your danger is leading to reward. Your hard times and your suffering is going to ultimately lead to blessing. Let's read a little further. I affirm by the pride in you that I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. Again, we need to understand what he's saying here. There are those who would say, oh, well, we are to take the Bible literally. When I read the Bible, I don't interpret the Bible. I just read it. The Bible doesn't have to be interpreted. You just have to read what it says. Well, that statement is not quite true. We do have to interpret the Bible, whether we like to admit it or not. The Bible is difficult. Language is difficult. We also have to be careful when we say, well, I take the Bible literally. Well, Paul says here that he dies every day. Well, if we're taking that literally, do we think that he died physically every day and was resurrected? Well, no, I don't believe that at all. 
Uh, so what is he talking about when he says that he dies every day? Well, he doesn't specify what kind of death. Perhaps it is a spiritual death. Does he die spiritually every day? Well, I don't know exactly what that even would mean or what that would look like. But what I think that Paul may be uh, getting at here when he says these things, when he talks about dying daily, perhaps is uh, what we see in Luke chapter 9 verse 23 where we are commanded to take up our cross daily. Again, we don't take that literal. We don't, we don't go pick up a heavy cross every day and we don't lug it around with us everywhere we go, those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ. But when we see that language, that idea of taking up our cross daily, that means uh, an idea of suffering. When we think about the cross, it's an idea of suffering. That's what the cross was. It was a horrible uh, time of suffering. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago at Easter. And so when we think of the cross, we think of a horrible suffering. Now, we think of a loving Savior who we receive grace and forgiveness because of his death on the cross, but ultimately that came at the price of great suffering. And so when we take up our cross daily, we are going to take a stand. We are going to live for Christ no matter what suffering we may have to go through. We are going to uh, do what God calls us to do. And I believe that that's the same idea that Paul is getting at here when he says in this verse that he dies daily. He, he is experiencing hard times every day. Some translations even say, uh, I face death daily. Now, that's probably not the closest to the literal translation, but in our mind, it may help us to understand what Paul was getting at. Uh, he probably did face death daily. He faced difficult times often. And so this is not a false statement. So whether Paul is speaking spiritually or physically, perhaps both are true. But I believe what he's saying is, as he lives for Christ every day, and sometimes that brings suffering, but it's suffering that he's willing to go through. Why? Because he has hope in a better future. He has hope in a resurrection. He has hope that this life is not the only life that is to come. Verse 32, if I fought wild animals in Ephesus with only human hope, what good did that do me? Now, when he says fight wild animals in Ephesus, he could be talking about real literal wild animals. Some commentators and, and, and scholars would say, well, he's talking about the men who came against him, who were so ferocious, they were like animals in their actions. Well, well, we don't know there. I will take Paul uh, where he says wild animals, and I will just believe that he's talking about wild animals. But whatever foe he was against, whether it was an animal or a human, and they were both trying to kill him, uh, what he is saying is, is that <clears throat> if I fought wild animals in Ephesus with only human hope, what good did that do me? He's saying, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going to go through these situations if the only hope that I have is in this life. He's not fighting with only human hope. That is, only the hope of what good will come in this life. He's focusing on the hope that is to come. Paul is willing to uh, take on these wild animals, whether it be literal animals or whether it be people coming against them. He's willing to suffer and risk losing his life and be killed, not because of the hope of, well, I've given my life in this life and that's the end, but no, for the hope of... <clears throat> I've given my life for Jesus Christ in this life. Therefore, I will experience a wonderful life to come, an eternal life through Jesus Christ. He does these things not with human hope. He does them with hope of a better future. 
If there were merely only human hope and what we could get out of this world, then there would be no benefit to being good. Would any of us continue to be good if we knew there were going to be no consequences for us in our life? We may nod our head, and perhaps for a moment we would be good. But it wouldn't take long for everybody who is not being good, who's saying, well, there's no consequences in the life to come. I can do what I want to do, and as long as I get away with it, there will be no consequences here either. And so people would steal from one another. They would take what you have, and as good as you may try to be, eventually you would say, well, why am I working and doing right when everybody is taking advantage of me and stealing my things? Eventually you would begin to take advantage of people and steal their things and look out for only yourself. After all, there are no consequences if we're only living in this life. And that's the point I believe Paul was making. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that we aren't only living in this life. That's the problem with our world today. There are many who are living for this life and this life alone, which is why we as Christians have an obligation, a calling, a mission to go and make disciples of these people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are to go and tell them, no, there is a life to come, and you will have to stand before God in judgment. You will have to answer for what you do, but good news, there is forgiveness for your sins through Jesus Christ, so that when you stand before God, you won't experience God's wrath. Instead, you will experience God's grace. When that day comes, you will get eternal life and not eternal wrath, as we see in John chapter 3. So Paul is not living for just human hope. He knows there is more than hope in this life. He has put his hope in Jesus Christ, which is why he is able to live for Christ daily, no matter what suffering that may lead to. Continuing on in verse 32, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, and drink, for tomorrow we die. Now, again, he uses this if statement. He knows full well that uh, the dead are raised. He's making an if to try to get the people to understand. Paul says, though, if we're only living in human hope, then let us eat, let us drink, for tomorrow we die. Live life to the fullest, just like we talked about. Don't worry about anybody or anything else. Live life to the fullest and do what you want to do if the dead are not raised. But as we've seen in the verses before, we know the dead are raised. We know that they do have victory over death through Jesus Christ. We are not just told that in 1 Corinthians 15. That is repeated to us and reaffirmed to us throughout the New Testament. Verse 33 do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Now, this is a good idea here for us to understand. Uh, those who we associate with may be a bad influence on us if they are doing bad things, if they are living in sin and disobedient to God. That's why we must be careful uh, when we pick our friends and those that we hang out with. Bad corrupts good. Now, when I say we are good as Christians, it's not that we are not sinners or we are not perfect. The only good that is in us comes through Jesus Christ. We are being remade. We are, we are a work in progress. We still sin, but we hopefully, if we're in Christ, strive to be obedient and to, to get away from sin, to repent of sin. But we need to be careful of those who we encounter and who we are with. We may 
have the tendency to say that, oh, we're going to hang out with this person or that person and we uh, will rub off on them. Our good will rub off on them. But generally speaking, it's their negative things that rub off on us. There are times, sure, that we may be around those uh, doing wrong things and perhaps we will have a positive influence. But generally speaking, we want to avoid putting ourselves in situations where we may be tempted. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. We don't avoid sinful people. Of course, Jesus calls us to go into a world full of sinful people. So we must be careful to say, well, I'm never going to be around any bad person or evil person or one that's doing wrong because uh, I need to keep myself uh, clear of all those things. Yes, we do. But there is a difference between trying to minister to someone and to share with them the love of Christ and, and befriending them and being involved in the things that they are involved in. We should never just avoid people because they may be a sinful person and, and stay away from them. Uh, but we don't want to be comfortable in that lifestyle. We don't want to give up uh, our good uh, and do bad to say that more good will come. We should never do bad in hopes that good will be the result. We should stay away from giving in to those bad temptations, uh, but at the same time, we need to be careful not to avoid sinful people altogether. After all, what if Jesus had done so for us? We are sinners saved by grace. Let us not be too uh, too quick to... Uh, resist from giving that grace to others who may need it. Let us read on. Verse 34, come to your senses and stop sinning for some people are ignorant about God. Now I say this to your shame. Now he uses the words come to your senses here in my translation. Uh, some of your translations uh, may say awaken to righteousness. Uh, but the NASB is probably the most literal here where it says be sober-minded. Now all of these descriptions and these terms and phrases we just used help us to understand what he's saying to the people here. He's saying, wake up, pay attention, come to your senses, stop thinking foolishly. And the people needed to change their way of thinking. They needed to come to their senses and to stop sinning, the text says. They were living a life that was in disobedience to God. They were living in a way that God had not called them to live. They were living by a teaching that was a false teaching or a misunderstanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of those who trust him. Now, they needed to be aware of their situation. Paul had explained the truth to them, the correct way of thinking to them, and he says to them, come to your senses. It's time to wake up and stop sinning. Perhaps that message is good for us to hear too. Maybe there are some of us who are brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's not that we doubt the resurrection, but maybe there is some sin in our life. Maybe there is some things in our life that we shouldn't be doing, some disobedience to God. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is convicting our hearts this morning. Maybe there are some things in our lives that we need to repent of. And God is telling us to wake up. Come to your senses. Stop sinning. 
while it may be different than what the Corinthians are dealing with, or maybe the same, we don't ever want to continue in our sin. Sometimes, as we see in God's Word, we have to be corrected. Sometimes it's by the Lord, sometimes it's through His Word, and sometimes it's by brothers and sisters. In this case, Paul was correcting those in Corinth, those Christians who were believing and practicing and doubting things that were not biblical when it came to the resurrection. He goes on to say, Come to your senses and stop sinning, for some people are ignorant about God. Now there are those there who were ignorant about God. Now when he says ignorant, ignorant just simply means they didn't have a knowledge. They didn't know about the things of God. They didn't know about God. And he was saying that there were some there who were ignorant. That is, they had never been taught. They didn't know. But that can't be said of them anymore after this. After all, Paul has explained in this letter uh, to the Corinthians in great detail the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has corrected their wrong ways of thinking, their false teachings, uh, and he is trying to get them on the right track. He's trying to make sure that they're not ignorant. Now, perhaps we've heard the saying before that ignorance is bliss. Well, in some instances, that is true. Ignorance is bliss. Some things are better uh, that we don't know about them. But there are other things that we do need to be aware of. Most importantly, the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's word. We don't want to be ignorant about these things. We don't want to have a lack of knowledge about these things. That's why we come here and worship. That's why we come together for Bible studies, for Sunday school classes. We come together because we want to have knowledge of God's Word. We want to grow in God's Word. We don't want to be those who are ignorant of God's Word. Especially if we come to church on a regular basis, perhaps our whole life, we've had a relationship with God in our whole life, there needs to be some maturity that takes place there. Not only does he call them ignorant, but in closing here in verse 34, he says, I say this to your shame. It's a shame for them to be ignorant about the things of the Lord. Perhaps he meant in the same, uh, along the same line of thinking as when we see in the scripture that it says that there is a time for Christians that they should be eating solid food, spiritually speaking, but there were some who were still having to be fed milk, who were still having to be fed the elementary teachings of the scripture, of God's word. We don't want to be those who are ignorant when we should know better. If we spend time in God's Word and we've spent time in relationship with Him and in fellowship with other brothers and sisters and we've been taught God's Word or been preached God's Word, over time there should be a maturing that takes place. You should be and I should be more mature in the Lord today than I was a year ago, than I was two years ago, ten years ago. But oftentimes as Christians we get to a spot where we are Happy where we are, where we become stagnant, that is, we just quit growing. We quit listening because, well, I know that verse, I've heard that verse, I know this story. And instead of reading all of God's Word and trying to understand it, we pick the few verses or stories we like and we're comfortable right there. But it's to our shame. It's to our shame that we don't have the knowledge of God's Word that we should Because God's Word is there. Now, I don't say that as though God's Word is easy. 
Sometimes the scriptures are easy to understand. Other times the scriptures are difficult to understand. And so there are some that we struggle with. There are some that I come to even after years of reading and I say, oh, I don't know what that means. I don't understand what that means. There are other scriptures that eventually God reveals to me and there are some that I still don't understand. God's word is not always easy, but the more we are in God's word and we are seeking him, the more he begins to enlighten us. The more the Holy Spirit begins to connect the dots and help us to understand how things come together. The problem with the Corinthian people was not that they had not been taught the truth of the gospel correctly. After all, it was probably Paul himself who taught them the truth of the gospel. The problem was is that they were not living by the truth of the gospel. As we started this series in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians, it is entitled Undivided. That is because our goal through reading the book of 1 Corinthians is to see the errors of the ways of the people of Corinth and also hopefully the Holy Spirit reveal the error of our ways so that we are not divided in what we think God's word says, so that we are not divided as brothers and sisters in Christ, but that we have a proper understanding of God's word so that we leave this place each and every week undivided as brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul addressed the idea that the cross of Christ was foolishness to some at the beginning of the book, but is wisdom to those of us who believe. And therefore, we we come together each week and we study God's Word because we want to know what it says. We want to live by it. We want to be obedient to it. And Paul's desire was that the people of Corinth would be obedient to it. But he had to correct some things, some things that they were doing that they had, uh, that had become acceptable to them. But Paul was saying it's not acceptable for you to act this way and do this and do that. And this is just one of those things, speaking of the resurrection, that Paul is saying, look, this is a serious thing. This is the most important thing. You need to get it right. You need to understand the truth. You need to come to your senses, stop your sinful behavior and believing these things that are false, that are not true, that are not of God. You need to come to your senses and you need to stop this sinning. You need to mature as brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to know the truth. We don't want to be those who are ignorant about God's word. Perhaps there are some of us in this place today and we realize that There are things in God's Word that we want to understand, that we need to study a little more. Perhaps we don't study at all. We need to be in God's Word just a little bit. But God speaks to us through His Word. Praise the Lord that we come in here preaching and that we come to sit under good teachers. But God speaks to us through His Word, and that comes corporately in a body like this, a group together. But it also comes personally. When we seek God on our own time, when we seek to understand, when we are aware of what God's Word says, so that we can discern the truth from a lie, so that we can be able to stand against those who come against us and who begin to preach and teach to us things that are not of Scripture. We want to understand those things so we don't give in to false beliefs, so we don't lose our hope, our hope that there is a better life to come. There are some who may teach that there's nothing more in this life, but God's Word tells us otherwise. So we come here today with a hope. We look at our world and we see that it's in bad shape. We see the sin and the sorrow and all the things that take place in this world, the fighting and the sickness. 
but we hope for a better tomorrow. We have that hope because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, because he died conquering uh, sin, because he was put in the grave and rose from the grave conquering death. And he shares that with us so that we can be, as the scripture says, overcomers. So that we can overcome the hard times in this life. So that we can overcome the sin. So that we can overcome the pain and the heartache. And so that we can be with Jesus Christ for all of eternity. Now I don't know what anyone's heart is. But God's word tells us what is truth. And it is Jesus Christ. It tells us that Jesus is the light. There's no other light in this world. We want to understand truth. We want to accept truth. We want to know God's word. And we don't want to be ignorant about what it says. And God's word says that there is no way for forgiveness other than Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. So we come here today with hope. We come here today looking for a better life to come. Not just a life that ends here, but a life that's carried on for all of eternity. And we experience that life, that eternal life, through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ and, and, and surrendered your life to Him and made Him your Lord and Savior, then today you need to repent. You need to turn from your wicked, evil ways. Even those who are in Christ, we still sin. And we're, if we're sinning, we need to turn from our sinfulness and repent of that. Some of you have never given your life to Christ. And if not, you need to give your life to Christ today. You need to accept His sacrifice and accept his gift to be forgiven, to know that there is a better tomorrow, to put your hope in something other than this world, but to put it in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you, and I thank you for these words, and I pray that you would help us to understand. Dear Lord, it's tough when we start talking about baptism for the dead and some of these things that seem kind of weird to us maybe. Help us to know the truth from a lie. Help us to know what your word says, dear Lord. Give us discernment in these things. God, help us not to be ignorant. God, we don't want to be ignorant about Jesus Christ. There are things in the world, God, maybe we do, but ignorance is not always bliss, dear Lord. And we pray that you would help us to, to not leave this place today without a knowledge, without uh, a, a better understanding of Jesus. Maybe, God, there's one in this room that doesn't understand. Let them come to me afterwards and, and help me to, to try to explain, dear Lord. Let your word explain. Just, uh, let us all leave this place knowing that we understand your word today. God, I pray that if there are any Christians in here, and maybe we just we need to be more mature than we are spiritually. Maybe we've just kind of gotten a rut and we're not growing in you. God, let us get back in your word. Let us seek your word. Let us grow in your word. And God, I pray that if there's one that needs to make a decision for Jesus Christ today, that they would do so. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen.